I'm here today with Marilyn McIntyre and Shirley Showalter, authors of a new book called The Mindful Grandparent, The Art of Loving Our Children's Children. Marilyn is an award-winning spiritual writer, speaker, grandmother, and professor of medical humanities and American literature. She's written and edited over 20 books and has won several t teaching awards. Marilyn currently teaches at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California, and at Westmont College in San Francisco. Shirley is an award-winning educator, author, speaker, and grandmother. With a PhD from the University of Texas at Austin, Shirley served as a professor and then president of Goshen College in Indiana, and as a foundation executive at the Fetzer Institute in Michigan. You can learn more about the new book at broadleafbooks.com. And speaking of which, I also need to give a shout out of congratulations to Valerie Weaver Zercher, who was the editor uh, uh, for this book and spoken at several of our conferences. So I was really glad to hear that uh, the two of you that had worked with Valerie on this. So anyway, yeah. welcome to you both, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. So, um, you know, first congratulations on all the different things that you both accomplished. Um, I'd love for you to give folks a little bit more info on your background than what I briefly touched on. And uh, Carol, if you want to start first, that's fine. Sure. You mean Shirley? Shirley, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, I spent most of my life in higher education. And in many ways, this book is the culmination of a, of a life of teaching and learning, which is just one new avenue for the same thing that both of us have been doing all our lives. And uh, I loved teaching American literature. My background's in American studies, so I love to see intersections of things, um, intellectual history and art history and religious history coming together um, to influence a culture. Um, a lot of that interest is something that we were able to use as we took our personal lives and combined it with uh, many layers of professional experience in the background, uh, our interest in reading about anything that we're learning about, um, bringing in uh, cultural aspects of, um, related to our ventures in grandparenting. Um, so... Uh, I'm, and we're also here in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is where I spent six years at the Fetzer Institute. Mm. And uh, we were able to do some very interesting uh, programming during those years. And it allowed me to get to know some of the social science research that we were able to draw on in the book. Um, and it's just uh, great to be back with friends um, that I have had from... Um, many different layers in my life. Wonderful, wonderful. Marilyn, tell us more about your background. My background. Um, I started and, and have spent many years uh, teaching in an English department, also American literature, but I've always had this interest in medical humanities and taught at a medical school for about 12 years and still kind of dip into that world Medical humanities is such an interesting intersection of uh, medical education and reflection on literary texts that have to do with medical ethics and um, also helping doctors and med students write and really consider what the role of language is in healthcare. 
And so I think the relationship between writing and healing has always been a thread of interest for me. And I like interdisciplinary studies of any kind. So. And this is the 20th book, is that correct, that you've done? I'm not sure. I think it's, I don't know. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Huh? I, always, I always have a book in the works. But <laughs> it's a, I think it's the 22nd, but that's wow. a book I've edited. Oh, congratulations. That's wonderful. So as I mentioned, the title of the book is The Mindful Grandparent, The Art of Loving Our Children's Children. So what motivated you to get together to write this, and how did that all come about? You tell. Okay, I'll start, and uh, please fill in the gaps. Um, we were just trying to remember uh, our previous intersections since Marilyn comes from California and I come from Pennsylvania and here we are in Michigan. Um, but we had intersected a couple of times in our careers. Uh, I spoke at the inauguration of the president of uh, Westmont College some years ago. And Marilyn remembers meeting me then. Um, unfortunately, I don't remember much of meeting her because I met so many new people that day. But we did uh, get together in Sausalito one time after I had read one of the articles that Marilyn uh, wrote for Weavings magazine and was able to use it in a workshop and uh, reached out to her. We were able to meet and discovered that we had many things in common. Then uh, Marilyn asked me to participate in a panel group that she put together for the Calvin Festival of Faith and Writing. And that went very well. We enjoyed it. We thought, hey, we should do a book. <laughs> and the book sounded like a great idea for a while. And even the publisher thought so for a while. And then <laughs> not so much after a while. And uh, so we just kind of let that go. And then um, it was me, I think, uh, who first put together a lot of the um, most passionate interests of my personal life with the memoir writing that I had been doing previously and thought, oh, this might be the subject that would engage both Marilyn and me, and I would love to do a project with Marilyn. I talked it over with her. turns out I have three grandchildren, but Marilyn has nine. And so she is the true expert uh -huh. on the subject. I think so. <laughs> And we, we just really uh, developed energy around the topic. And you mentioned uh, Valerie Weaverserker. Uh, I knew Valerie from my uh, first book was published with Harold Press when mm -hmm. Valerie was there. Sure, sure. And uh, so we thought, let's take this book to Valerie and see if she would like it. And um, turns out she did. And we had a very good collegial uh, working relationship with her on the project. And um, now we are ready to actually put a book in people's hands. <laughs> yeah, Val, yeah, it's a beautiful book. Um, Val, and Valerie's wonderful. Um, so, you know, I was really happy when I heard that you guys were working with her. And, um, you know, I have four grandchildren myself, too. So, I mean, you know, the book is quite relevant for me. And I'm sure several of the folks in our audience are either grandparents or parents or soon to be one of the others. So um, I think it's uh, an important read. 
But, you know, kind of who did you write it for? Who Did you intend it just for grandparents or did you really intend it for more of a multi-generational um, audience? No, we actually intended it for grandparents. And as it progressed and in conversation with Valerie, it became clear that what they wanted us to focus on was people who were becoming grandparents for the first time, not people who had, for instance, adolescent grandkids, which I do. So uh, some of my pieces involved reaching back to the early years of um, being a grandmother and thinking about what that meant. I grew up with my grandparents in our home, Hmm. three-generation family, and I was very close to my grandmother. And it's been a little bit of a disappointment to me that we don't have that kind of proximity to any of the kids. Grandparenting isn't the same now anyway. But it's a really important role, and it's probably important differently for each family. So thinking about grandparenting involves us in thinking about family culture and how it's changing and Um, about what a generation is. People become grandparents at anywhere from 40 to 80. So we're not talking about a single season of life. That's what everyone reaches, the way everyone reaches their 60s. Um, But I think the older we get, the more I'm interested in how you age in this culture. And especially because so many kids are Um, deeply enmeshed in electronic culture in ways that older people don't get to and don't want to participate in. The question of how to really stay intimately connected with children is a big one. So there are lots and lots of questions that come up as soon as you start thinking about what is the role? What's the role for American grandparents? And then, of course, since Shirley and I are from different parts of the country, And another interesting piece of it that came up in our conversations was how many of the norms, if there are any, are also regional. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Question. Back to to the question of uh, the reader, we were encouraged to focus on new grandparents and the grandparents of young children, but we did partly because uh, I have two that are entering the preteen years, and Marilyn has a lot of engagement now with teenagers and above, uh, we were able to uh, broaden the book to include some um, uh, directives, not directives, but uh, some uh, examples of topics that are relevant throughout uh, grandparenting over a 10 to 15 to maybe even 20 year span. So would you describe the book as instructional or kind of a how-to book or no. not, not, not in that direction? No, really not. And I, I, uh, I think one of the first things I would want people to know about it is it's really reflections on lo- our own learning moments in grandparenting. Mm. Mm. And I want, we have both wanted it to be invitational more than anything else to kind of spur people to reflect on how do I want to do this? And uh, in, in my constellation of family, how do I craft this particular role? Because it isn't prescribed, and it's certainly not one size fits all. Yes. Interesting, interesting. So um, I'd like to read a couple of the endorsements from the book, if I could. Um, this one's from our friend Parker Palmer. 
He says, the mindful grandparent is not only warm, loving, and practical, it's also gently honest. The authors know that there's three generational dance between grandparents, their own children, and their grandkids sometimes means that toes get stepped on. But as we learn the steps involved in doing a graceful dance, we see more clearly that this three-generation dance is grace-filled. Um, so what advice in the book do you give about stepping on toes? <laughs> well, actually, uh, Marilyn wrote a wonderful passage that um, actually goes into more depth on that idea of a dance and maybe um maybe you'd like to read this list you thought of it go ahead and read it <laughs> <laughs> um i i think it's um an extension of what parker was saying and in Marilyn's lovely language it's still a dance come in close step back and let others in wait for invitation honor their intimate space Speak when they ask or when the spirit guides you. Learn to hold your peace. And when a new thing happens, another baby, an illness, a move, a career change, be ready to stand by and remind them. Breathe. Relax into this. Call on that deep part of you that knows what to do. Allow. Surrender. Say yes. Very nice. Very nice. As you said, uh, written in typical Maryland eloquence. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was in a chapter on, was that in Now We Are Sick? Um, it's in Labors of Love. Oh. From the birthing experience. From the birthing experience. Yeah. And that was... You know, I was so fortunate to, for all three of my daughters to invite me to be there at their births. But the step in and step back part applies to so many things. And there was another chapter called Now We Are Six, which is about sharing the space, obviously, with other grandparents. And as I understand it, something over 60% of American families are blended in some way. So a lot of kids have more than four grandparents. And so... Not only who are you in relation to your adult children and your sons or daughters-in-law, but also to their children and then also to the other grandparents who may have a very different style. They may have different economic resources. They may do holidays differently. That's part of the dance. That's for sure. <laughs> a very complicated part of the dance. <laughs> yeah. So let me read another endorsement. This was one from um, Judith Valente. Um, the mindful grandparent is essential reading for longtime grandparents, grandparents-to-be, and anyone else who seeks to give loving grandparent-style caring to our young. Marilyn McIntyre and Shirley Showalter show us how grandparent grandparenting is both an art and a contemplative practice. They offer a roadmap for navigating the many roles grandparents play, as well as the new and diverse challenges facing their grandchildren. So personally, I've never thought of grandparenting as a contemplative practice. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> I would describe <laughs> when when our grandkids come, you know, <laughs> to visit for a holiday or whether it's it's just chaos. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not not what I would consider to be contemplative. But I mean, I can kind of get what you're saying, but could you could you 
share a little bit more about what you mean by that? Well, it's actually Judith who, who used that description, but I think there would be plenty of places in the book where one could see an analogy to uh, contemplative practices. I, I think children are a little uh, mystics and monks. Uh, they, they will find the most amazing things on any walk that you go with them. Now, if you put five of them together in a room, no, it's not contemplation. <laughs> but when you are one-on-one with a child, there is a, a wonderful opportunity for noticing, paying attention, which, as we know, is a form of prayer. Um, and re-seeing the world through the child's eyes is a way of honoring the silence that deep, that's deep in the inner core of each human being. And um, the children just do it naturally. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the people in the 20th century who probably had the most exemplary life of both kind of intellectual and contemplative work who has been helpful to me is Maria Montessori. And she spent, she got her MD, and then she spent a number of years observing the behavior of small children and being more and more deeply convinced that children, even very small children, have spiritual lives. They are spiritual beings having a human experience like the rest of us. And so she, her respect for children that goes into her writings and certainly went into the design of her schools, I think is a model for the way I think about the contemplative dimension of grandparenting, which is that we don't have to see them every day and make their meals and change their diapers or get them to school. We get to step away from them now and then and reflect on what's going on with them and think about their lives and pray for them at a rather luxurious distance so that when we come in closer to spend time with them, we have a slightly different perspective from the day-to-day parenting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, a couple of months ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing um, Dr. Lisa Miller, the author of The Spiritual Child. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, she, just like you, Marilyn, mixes, you know, her medical practice with writing and spirituality and uh, you know basically went into a whole book along the lines of what you were just saying around you know the the spiritual nature that children have when they're young and how important it is to nurture that as they develop right one of the stories i tell in this book is about one of our grandchildren who when he was two and a half developed quite spontaneously a very intimate relationship with trees. <laughs> he, would, he, would just, he was a little tree hugger, and he would <laughs> go up to particular trees when we took walks and just put his little arms around them and put his head against it and hang out with the tree a few minutes and then go on. And one of my favorite moments was on a walk when I think he was about two and a half, and he said, he calls me Amma, he said, Amma, what is the tree doing? And I just love that question because of course it's doing things, you know, and it's it's sucking water up from the ground and it's housing trees and it's photosynthesizing. And 
I talked to him about oxygen and carbon dioxide because <laughs> that's the kind of grandma I am. <laughs> but he really listened, and he was so aware that trees have lives mm. and they are beings. Mm. And the rest of us need to get that back. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, don't we lose so much as we grow up oftentimes? I mean, yeah. a lot of that wonder and curiosity and innocence and, you know, things that get oftentimes just blown away and left by the wayside. Right. There's a chapter in the book also about artistry and how every child is an artist. And I think that it's very close to all of the things we've been saying about contemplation. Um, children um, love to work with color and paint and line and uh, observe something and then immediately put it down in their mind's eye as it appears to them and with full confidence that whatever line that ends up being on the paper was the right one. Um, there's a lot to learn from that as well. So um, how is the book organized? Can you tell folks just a little bit about that? Well, I'm sitting here at the table of contents in front of me because you, after you've done a book, you can't remember anything about it. So. <laughs> Um, it's got five parts, and it's not exactly chronological, but we do start with Shirley's chapter, What to Expect When They Are Expecting, because there's that wildly popular book about pregnancy for mothers, What to Expect When You're Expecting. But preparing for your first grandchild is really an interesting idea, starting with, I'm not old enough to be a grandmother. <laughs> Get over that first. <laughs> And then begin to think about how this will change the mobile of the family system, to use that image. And it, then it goes into birth and naming, and Shirley has a beautiful chapter on, on rituals of naming and welcoming children and blessing children. And then, um, and then the idea of, again, she has a chapter called Building a Grandparent Team. And I love the idea that the grandparents, even if they don't know each other well, they're going to show up at all the same rites of passage and important occasions. And so getting to know who's on the team is really important. So it goes all the way from those early experiences through what do you do when you're spending time with them. We tried to take on some of the more difficult issues when there's illness in the family, when a child is ill or disabled. Um, when you, how do you talk to children about your own death or other people's death? You know, at what point do you step into that narrative along with the children? And then in the final section, we talk about their future and ours and try to address the fact that we are grandparenting at a very particular historical moment, and it's not going to be like the grandparents we had um, or the grandparents our children had, we're going to have to be a new kind of grandparent to help equip these kids to get what they're getting. There are 52 chapters in the book. So if you wanted to, you could read one per week. That's a great idea. Wonderful. And, um, it's written so that it can, can be read chronologically from front cover to back cover as you read most books, but also can be delved into and, uh, picked uh, for whatever topic seems relevant for now. 
each of the chapters has at the end a, a list of suggestions of places we've been, things we've done, um, or that we have discovered through research that we research that we can share with other people who might want to delve into the topic at more depth. And we try to make them practical too, like fun things that um, people can um, enjoy with their own grandchildren. <laughs> now, one thing about introducing us with all our academic credentials is that they're completely irrelevant. Read a few books and mention them. Yeah. Well, I, actually, I don't think they are irrelevant. They're just uh, relevant in a new way, shall we put it that way? Um, because the the work that we've done in reading and writing uh, all our lives does still. Um, relate to this joyful work of, usually joyful work of grandparents. Right, right. So um, if each of you had to pick one thing that you would like readers to take away from the book, what would it be? That grandparenting is a special time of life and that if you are blessed to um, be in that time or anticipating that time of life, that uh, it is a very important role, possibly the most important one you've played in your life. And uh, I don't think it's been celebrated as much as it will be in the future. I think one of the things that is in the midst of change right now is that uh, grandparenting um, is being discovered <laughs> as a thing um, in the way that parenting was discovered in the um, maybe 70s, 80s, 90s. And now we have so much more research and so many more books and so many activities for parents. I think we're at the beginning of, of a, a new emphasis on the role of grandparents as the population ages, as um, Parents are, and parents and grandparents together are taking on new and different roles in the family. So bottom line, um, it's important and um, it has so much potential for enjoyment and also potential for grief and difficulty, uh, but that, that's all the more reason why grandparents need each other. Hmm. Marilyn, how about you? Yeah, that was good. I could just say what she said, <laughs> but I think I would probably add um, it's grandma is a role that can so easily get trivialized or sentimentalized. And, you know, we build all these myths around motherhood and babies. And so I think part of the challenge is to get real about the fact that we live longer, and so we're going to have many of us longer to watch children through their various stages of life, and that in the economic environment we inhabit, a lot of parents are both working and grandparents step in in new ways to actually help raise the children. And certainly, we were very much aware, and we do address this in the book, that we are white women, sort of middle class, if that still means something, and there are there are parts of the culture uh, that 
where grandparents actually by necessity or by culture have even a much more important and forceful role. And so part of it is to take into account race, class, age, um, religious affiliation, how you um, negotiate all of this with your children and with other grandparents. And so I guess the takeaway after all that language would be this is a social contract that you have to work out pretty much new each time. Mm. And if you have more than one child, then grandparenting their respective families is going to be different for each family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, in our case, I mean, just geography makes that, you know, yes. a huge yeah. difference, just a proximity, you know. Right. And that there's a lot of humility involved, and you really have to rely on grace. <laughs> no way to step back. So I know you're in the middle of launching this book, but I have to ask you each to talk a little bit about the future, if you can. Uh, any new projects, whether it's books or or other things that uh, each of you are working on individually or together? Yeah, I have a couple of projects going on. One of them is a book that's coming out, I don't know, in the next several months. I'm not sure when. And it is an academic book that I helped to edit. I didn't write the whole book, but it's called um, New Thoughts on Old Books. Why read Homer or Milton or a medieval nun at a time like this? <laughs> so we gathered together some of our academic friends to try to address that question. Because, and we are, put it emphatically on the back cover and in the introduction, this is not a defense of the kind of dead white male literary canon, but it is an effort to look at how in all the shifting of what's important in curricula, why would we continue to read what have been the classics? So that's the academic project. And then I'm just barely starting a little book out of my own curiosities about how people get guidance and how they talk about it. Hmm. Everything from I had a hunch to Jesus told me to I commune with angels daily. <laughs> you know, I'm just really interested in how people talk about guidance. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we'll look forward to both of those. Shirley, how about you? Well, I don't have as many projects on my uh, burner as Marilyn does, uh, partly because I hope to spend the next year um, when I'm not actively grandparenting myself, uh, visiting friends and moving around the country and doing book talks on this book. Oh, and uh, it's a part of the book writing process that I really enjoy um, to be able to find the people who have an interest in the same topic and then engage them in conversation with um, hearing, hearing many more stories. I'm sure by the time uh, this year passes and I've been able to um, do some touring that there will be a lot of new ideas and new stories that certainly should find their place somewhere. Uh, I'm a blogger, so I have a, a nice place to go if I have a new inspiration and, and can share it that way. I do have uh, the possibility of, of one project. I've been involved in something called NetView. Um, it's a network of uh, academics who are interested in the 
subject of vocation in higher education and beyond. And uh, since this book in some ways is a description of grandparenting as calling, um, it linked that project in a very broad and general way, but uh, I may be engaged in uh, working with academics again in looking at vocation in the next chapter. Cool, cool. Well, I'm sure you both find some very interesting things to, to do, and uh, it's really nice. You know, I think, Cheryl, you will hear a lot of very interesting stories, grandparenting-related yeah. stories, as you're out there talking about this topic with people. So that could be another another book. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so again, thank you both for doing this work and for you know telling us about it. Um, the name of the book is The Mindful Grandparent, The Art of Loving Your Children's Children. And check it out at uh, broadleafbooks.com. So Shirley and Marilyn, thanks so much again. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. It's a pleasure. <laughs>